Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. We're in a series called Supernatural. And uh, really what this is about is the church that God is building today. God is not building a natural church. This is not a natural thing that's happening. It is supernatural. It supersedes culture where we're at. God is doing something supernatural. And as a believer, I want to let you know this. God is inviting you into a supernatural way of living. We are not called to just live natural, live day to day. We are called to live supernatural because here's what I believe. The church is the hope of the world. We see society and where we're at, and Pastor Dave preached two weeks ago about how Corinthian culture is a lot like Californian culture. The hope for California is a supernatural church, and the church is not buildings. The church is people. The church is you, and I believe that throughout the series, God is calling you up into a supernatural way of living. And last week, Pastor Joseph preached an awesome message. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it about the wisdom that God gives us, the supernatural mind of Christ that we have access to as believers, that we can supersede just our natural understanding, but we can have an advantage in this life because we have the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm going to continue this series. And I I want to start by giving more context uh, to really what's happening in Corinth and what this letter is all about. Because this is in fact a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Corinth. And you have to know that he started the church. So he felt called by God to go on his missionary journey. And on his missionary journey, he stopped in Corinth They had no idea who Jesus was. They had never heard about him. They had never heard about the gospel. But Paul began to preach the gospel, which is the good news. If you've never heard the gospel before, this is it. There is a God who created all of this and created you. And he loves you so much. But we as humans, we are broken and sinful. God is perfect. We are not. And because of that, we are separated from our creator. But God loving us so much sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man. And Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins because the punishment of sin is death for eternity. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can now be restored in relationship with Jesus. We can discover once again who we were truly created to be. At the cross, you can find forgiveness, wholeness, peace, and life. And I want to let you know today, maybe you feel lost and broken and you feel like, man, I am a sinner. Jesus is the answer. The cross is enough. And because of that good news, we now have a new way of living. So Paul preaches the gospel. He preaches the cross. And what happens? A church starts. So believers begin to gather together and a church starts. And so Paul, on his mission journey, goes on to the next city. He leaves Corinth and then they lived happily ever after and there was no more problems. Nope, that didn't happen. (laughs) Because you know wherever people is, there's a mess. And so the church was made up of people who are broken And so there was trouble in paradise, so to speak. And so someone wrote a letter to Paul and said, hey, we need you back. Things are falling apart over here. And then he heard from someone who heard from someone like, things are not good in Corinth. And so what's happening, Paul wrote a letter back to Corinth. And what this letter is doing is it's going to correct some things that are going wrong in the church in Corinth. And it's going to redirect and lift up and encourage them to be the supernatural church that God has called them 
to be. And so Paul understands like, okay, as a father, he says in chapter four, there are countless guides, but few fathers. So I'm going to be a father. So Paul, as a father, writes this letter. So daddy Paul shows up, you know, just wait till dad gets home. He's going to correct a few things. That's what Paul is doing. And so as we read this letter, know that the letter to Corinth is actually a letter to us. And maybe, just maybe, there are some things that God wants to adjust in us and in us as a church so that we can be the supernatural church that God wants us to be. So that's where we find ourselves. And today we're going to start in chapter 1. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, that's me and you, that all of you agree. Good luck with that. <laughs> and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each, of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Jump to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the first problem that Paul's addressing. What is it? Division in the church. There is division that has made its way into the body of believers in Corinth. And so Paul said, hey, Chloe's people, let me know that there's some division. Chloe's people are like, hey, if you don't stop, I'm telling Paul. I'm going to tell him what you're doing because this is wrong. Chloe's people are probably the oldest child in the family. If you don't stop, I'm telling mom and dad. Shout out to oldest children. I'm one of them. Um, lo love to tattletale on our younger siblings. So what's happening is there's division. You have to understand that Corinth was a multicultural, multi-ethnic, melting pot of different cultures, Jewish, Roman, Greek. Uh, it, it spanned a, a large swath of, of socioeconomic different levels. They had, they had ultra wealthy and then ultra poor. They had those who were educated, those who were uneducated. But it was a melting pot and the church was a reflection of that. But what began to happen, instead of being united in their diversity, the church in Corinth began to be divided by their differences. Sounds eerily similar to where we can get today as a church in America. That instead of being united as the church under the cross of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel, we become divided. And notice what they say. They begin to say, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. This is what they're actually saying. Paul was a Roman citizen, so more likely than not, those who were of the culture of Rome were like, Paul's my guy. I, I, I want Paul. And then we have Apollos who is Greek and maybe if they were Greek in culture, they're like, okay, Apollos is my cup of tea. I like Apollos. And then Cephas, this is actually another name for Peter. And Paul does this on purpose. He uses his Aramaic translation of the name because what he's saying is, if you were from Israel, Jerusalem, you're saying, Peter's my guy, Cephas is my guy. 
And what's happening, because of their cultural identity and differences, they find themselves basing their Christianity off of who they are instead of being made into a new creation. They're allowing their differences to begin to divide them instead of Jesus making them whole and giving them a new identity. And when the church is divided, we cannot be the supernatural church that God is calling us to be. The only way we can be a city on a hill, the only way we can bring change in this culture is if we are united under the cross of Jesus Christ. But the enemy will do whatever he can to begin to divide us. He wants us to make our Christianity all about me and my identity. So therefore, I'm going to follow whoever best suits my needs. And all of a sudden, there's division in the church. And a divided church is a powerless church. And so this is where we find ourselves. And then, then you have people saying, well, I follow Christ, which sounds good. Like, yeah, that's who we should be following. But this is actually what they're saying. They're saying, we are the only ones who truly follow Christ you jokers, I don't know what you're doing. We're actually saved. I don't, I don't know about you guys. I, is that person saved? I have no idea. What's happening is there's now spiritual elitism that is separating and bringing division amongst the body. Today, maybe we find ourselves in a similar place like the church in Corinth, where we love to divide Say like, well, I'm doing this, they're not doing that, or this is who I am, and because of that, we can't. And the devil, the enemy, is trying to render the church powerless. And instead of being supernatural, we just become natural. So this is, this is, this is the problem that we're seeing in the church in Corinth. And then Paul goes on in chapter 2 to say, hey, you're no longer natural, you're supernatural. God has given you a spiritual way of living because of the cross, because of the gospel. You now have a supernatural spiritual wisdom that you can access. You're not called to live normal. And now we find ourselves in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. But brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now... You are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? Who? Let, let me summarize what Paul is saying here. He's, he's essentially saying you know, forgive me if this is crude. He's saying, you were infants when I preached the gospel and so I breastfed you like you do an infant. But now you're getting older and it's getting kind of weird, you know? It's like, oh, how old is Jimmy? Oh, he's 84 months. That's seven years old. He needs to start eating solid food. Oh, this is our sweet little son. He's 25. He needs to move out of the house and get a job. Like, he's saying it's time to grow up. It was cute when you were first saved and you were an infant. But natural health is natural growth. Growth is required. 
We are called to grow as believers. We are always called to grow. Are you still breastfeeding when you should be eating solid food? It's time to grow. It's time to move forward. And he says, what's keeping you as an infant is your jealousy, your arguing, and your division. There's, it's, it's stunting your growth. And it's rendering us ineffective as a church. What's happening is, as believers, they never progress past infancy. As an infant, you are only focused on yourself. That's why it's okay to throw a tantrum when you're one, but if you're 26, it's not, it's not okay because you need, to gr- you need to grow up. And so they, they haven't progressed because of the division, quarreling, jealousy. Really, all of that is just a symptom. It's just a symptom of the fact that their Christianity has become personalized, individualized, and it's all about them. If I was to summarize the zeitgeist of the culture we live in today, it could be summarized in one word. Me. Me. It's all about me. What I want. What I need. What will suit me best. My truth. Being, being affirmed for who I am. It's all about me. How can the church change the world if we're living like the world? How can our Christianity be a lamp on a hill if we find ourselves living like the culture? That's what Paul's saying. We cannot offer a greater supernatural way of living if we go to the cross, get saved, but we continue living a self-centered Christianity. It doesn't work that way. We're called to take on a new culture. We're called to live a different and greater way. You see, to live the life that God has called us to live and to be the church God has called us to be. We have to progress from me to we. Our Christianity has to move beyond myself. My, 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 my life has to move beyond being self-centered and self-focused because that's what culture lives like. And if we're living like culture as a church, what hope are we? You know, we're supposed to be the hope of the world. How can we be the hope of the world if we're living like the world? God is calling us to live different, live greater, and move beyond. And I believe as a church today, all of our campuses, God is calling us to grow up. To start eating solid food. And some of you, maybe this is your first time in church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. (laughs) The, The beautiful thing about this is we're all on different times and levels and places on our journey with Jesus. We don't want to become like the church and be like, I follow Christ, you're still eating milk, what? Come on, grow up. No, we're all at different places. We have to have grace for one another. We, not just me. We, not just me. And so, how do we do this? And and, and like I said, this is all a symptom of the fact that, or the symptom of this is they were divided Quarreling, arguing, pointing fingers at, and they weren't united. How do we grow? How, how do we go to the next level, so to speak? How do, we, how do we move on? How do we progress? I want to give you two things from this chapter, and, and Paul uses two illustrations, but I want to give you two things to help get you unstuck and to help you progress in your growth as a believer individually, and then us progress as believers together as a whole. 
Because what? Because if we are divided individually, we'll be divided as a whole. If we're living a divided life where we love salvation from Jesus, but we're living like the world, that division will find its way into the church. So how do we become whole? How do we stay united? The first is this. Take on the culture of the kingdom. When you get saved, we enter into a new culture, a new kingdom, and it is our responsibility to forego the culture we're a part of now and to take on the culture of the kingdom. It says this in, in uh, verse 5, What then of Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither him who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Pick up the culture of the kingdom. What is the culture of the kingdom? It is serving. Paul, he is an apostle planted churches, but how does he identify in this? His identity is, I am Paul, I am a servant. Well, I'm I'm a pastor preaching on stage. No, beyond that, I am a servant. Well, I own my own business, but now that you are a believer, our identity becomes one of, I am a servant. In Corinthian culture, this would have been slander. The, the, the field workers, servants, they would have looked down on them. But Paul understands that kingdom culture is opposite to world culture. And the least of these will become the greatest of these. And as the church, the culture we need to take on is I am here to serve, not be served. When I go to work, when I go home, when I show up at church, I am serving. It is counterculture. It's counterculture to take the low road. It's counterculture to humble ourselves and listen. It's counterculture to identify as a servant. But kingdom culture is opposite of the world's culture. And if we want to change the world, we cannot live like the world. To be a servant knows that, is to know that the focus and attention is not on me and what I do. It's on God and what he's doing. Planting, watering, that's nothing. But God is bringing the harvest. When you don't have to get recognized or noticed for something, it frees you up to do the little things. Planting seeds takes faith. Watering takes discipline. But it's consistency of just showing up and saying, I am going to serve. I'm going to serve in my house. I'm going to serve my family. I'm going to serve at my, at my work. And it's not just rolling over and being passive. But it's, it's actually something that's quite strong. Like, you know what? I know who I am in Jesus, so I can serve in this situation. I've heard it said that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. We cannot live like the culture where it's like, I need to get noticed. I need a pat on the back. No, I am here to simply serve. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's Jesus's culture. He came to serve, not be served. Don't underestimate the power of a planted seed. 
If you feel like you're just here, man, is anybody noticing? Am I making a difference? I wanna let you know that on the other end of you planting, you watering, there is a great harvest. You might not see it till eternity. You might not see it till heaven, but what you are doing when you choose to serve is making an eternal impact. Don't underestimate a planted seed because a planted seed multiplies and grows. Planting seeds through the words that you speak, planting seeds through serving on a Sunday, serving at Adopt-A-Block. I want to honor those who've been serving for years at Adopt-A-Block. You're planting seeds. You're planting seeds. A servant will do whatever it takes to see the harvest, even when it goes unnoticed. The greatest antidote, I believe, to division, quarreling, fighting, jealousy is to start serving. Just, just start serving. I'm, I'm planting seeds. You see, jealousy would be like, man, look at what they're doing. They're doing so much better than me. I wish, God, why didn't you? No, I'm here to just serve. Serving allows you to focus on the here and now and be free. Because we're all working together. The goal is the harvest. Not even my seed planting or my watering. The goal is the harvest. I love that he says you'll get paid according to your labor not according to the production. It's not how much you produce. Culture loves to say, oh, well, I did this, and then you did this. Look how much I have. No, it's not according to the production. It's according to the labor. What does that mean? Anyone can serve because anyone can start planting seeds and start watering. No matter where you are at, no matter what you have, no matter what family you were born into, all of us can take up the culture of the kingdom, which is serving. It supersedes my identity. It's a greater identity. I'm here to be a servant. The second thing, if we want to find healing, unity, and become the supernatural church God wants us to be, the second thing is we need to pick up the responsibility of the kingdom. Serving responsibility. This is how you know you're growing up. I've never seen an infant serve. They're, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, they're going to whine. But as they grow, they begin to think of other people. That's how you know they're maturing. Second thing is, they begin to take up responsibility. I I have a part to play. I have something to do. If you want to know if you are mature, can you take responsibility? What does this look like? The second picture Paul gives us, he says, According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care on how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, or woods, hay, and straw, they laid, uh, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer the loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. When we've been saved into the kingdom, a new way of living, we are now called to start building. We're called to start building, not just something temporary. 
Too often our focus and our attention is given to building the temporary. God is calling us to build something eternal. What is the fire? The fire is death. When we pass on into the next life, what will we bring with us? All of our efforts, all of our hard work, all of our energy, will it go into something temporary or something eternal? Because when you become a part of the family, it's time to take on responsibility. If you want to grow up and go to the next level, it's time to start building. Why? Because if you're not building, you're more likely than not tearing down. And it becomes easy to get critical when you're not working hard. If you're fo focused on building, like, okay, let's go, let's do this. But if you have time to sit back, more often than not, you become critical. What brings unity is when we're building together. All of us together. Yes, we're living different lives, come from different places. There is a diverse background to all of us, but we are all building towards the same thing. We are here to build the church. Not just an attender. We cannot just show up on Sundays. We are builders. Have you gone to that next level? Have you started building? I love it. He says, as a skilled master builder, I, Paul, laid the foundation. Someone else, Apollos, is building upon it. And then he says, let each one, that's you and me, take care how he builds upon it. So we have a responsibility to start building. We have a responsibility to start building into the eternal, building something that will last. The world builds on the temporary, which will fade away, but we are building something eternal. What is eternal? It's people. My life, my energy, my focus should be to build people. Even if it goes unnoticed, the part I'm playing is so much smaller than the great building that we are building. And from one generation to the next, we find ourselves building into the eternal, building into the supernatural. This is when your Christianity becomes alive, when you start building. We're not consumers, we're builders. If we wanna save the culture, bring hope and healing, we have to start building. We have to take responsibility. And like I said, it might go unnoticed and you might not see the effects of it till eternity. You know, there's someone who um, I want to give a shout out to, and, and I don't, she didn't ask me to do this, maybe doesn't even want me to do this, but there's a lady who shows up to youth every week named Lonnie, and Lonnie will drive on Wednesdays over 130 miles round trip from the Bay Area to Rio Vista to pick up her nephew, bring him to youth, drive him back, and then drive back home. She doesn't do this because someone's begging her to do it. She's doing it because she's building into the eternal. No one ever sees it. I see her, and, and I love when she amens and smiles when I'm preaching. It builds me up. Um, but no one's seeing that. People at her job don't know she's doing that. But the effect she's having is an eternal effect. Her nephew's life is being changed forever because she sees it as her responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. No, I'm building because I have a responsibility because I'm a part of the family. If not, maybe we're just living like mere humans, living like the culture. 
Take responsibility for your community. Take responsibility for your family. Start building. As a church, we've made it our responsibility to keep building. That's why we're launching Saturday nights. Because we want to make it easier to create more space for people to get in the house. We don't do it because we love to give up our Saturday nights and have another service. No, we do it because we see the responsibility of building. We, we have to do this. And I want to encourage you, if, if maybe you come on 11 o'clock or 9 sometimes, would you consider inviting someone and coming to the Saturday night service? Why? So that we can make more room and build. We, we're here to build, not just attend. We have these invite cards inviting to the Saturday night. Grab one of these. Give it to someone. Because I think what we're doing is eternal. It's really hard to be divided when we're all building together. I think right now, some of you, there's division maybe in your family. Maybe you've had quarrels or jealousy or something's happening. Just like in the church in Corinth, it's happening here. It's time we move past that. It's time we stop being divided by our differences. We have to be united by the fact that we have a culture that's greater. We have a responsibility to start building. We cannot be a divided church. I want to end with this and the band's coming up. He, he kind of sums up this whole thing of, hey, the church is divided. It's time to grow up. We need to move on. Here's how. He sums it up with this. He says, let no one boast in men. Let me pause right there. In our culture, we love to deify people. We love to put people on pedestals. Do not make a person God. Pastors are not Jesus, only Jesus is Jesus. If you make a person your God, you will be let down. It's good to honor, yes, but only God is God. We don't boast in anyone other than Jesus. It says this, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, it's all yours. You could, you could have it all. You have everything you need. Why? Because you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. What, what, what does this mean? I thought Jesus was God. How can he be God's, but also be God? How does this work? What he's talking about is the work of the cross. Jesus was sent by God to earth to die on the cross. What did Jesus say while here on earth? I do nothing apart from the Father. Before he went to the cross, not my will, but your will be done. He's talking about the cross. Jesus was the sacrifice that God gave so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be unified. We could be called to a greater way of living so that we could be the light of the world. We're called to go to the cross. And what is he saying? At the cross, you have everything you need. Doesn't matter, Peter, Apollos, Paul, none of that matters. Jesus is the only thing that matters. The things that worry you, the things that divide you, the things that hold you back, you have everything you need in Jesus. Why? Because we have a new identity and a new calling, a new purpose. We have somewhere to go. God is calling us to live somewhere greater and we find that at the cross. I, lo I love these five things he lists. He says, the world or life or death, present or future. Like these are the five main worries of culture. 
The world around us is a mess. You know, my life is a mess. Struggles. How are we going to pay all these things? Death. That's a worry for a lot of people. The present, the future. Like these are the main driving things in culture. And what Paul's saying is like, dude, you don't have to worry about any of that. Why? Because we have everything we need in Jesus. Everything you need is found in the cross. But we cannot come to the cross and continue to live the way the world lives. We cannot be divided. We cannot be divided. You know, Benjamin Franklin, before the nation was a thing, he, he, he made this uh, political cartoon and it was a snake chopped into pieces and had the different colonies. And it said, join or die, which seems pretty morbid. But what's it, what it's saying is the snake, the pitcher, cannot live if the pieces are divided. It has to be whole. Same with the body of Christ. We will not be effective if we are divided. But what unites us is the cross. The greatest act of justice is the cross. The greatest act of redemption is the cross. The cross is what brings us together. Multicultural, multi-ethnic, different societal uh, classes, different socioeconomic backgrounds are all brought together in unity at the cross. We can celebrate our diversity in a unified way at the cross. We cannot buy into culture's rhetoric or culture's lies. We have a new identity at the cross. And I want to end with Paul's words here. Chapter 126, he says, or chapter 1, verse 26, he says this, Consider your calling. What is, it, what is he saying? What is the calling? The calling is a savior on the cross calling us up to a supernatural way of living. You might be broken. You might be hurting. You might be lost. Maybe, you've, maybe, maybe you, things have happened to you in your life that are so painful and you've experienced trauma and hate. He's saying, come to the cross. I'm calling you to healing. I'm calling you to something greater. Consider your calling. Today, church, consider the call of the Savior. When you're at home, consider your call. When you're at work, consider your call. When you feel like giving up, consider your call. Man, there have been so many times as a pastor, I've been a youth pastor for 13 years. I'll call my dad on Thursdays because Thursdays is the day after Wednesday service. I'm like, dad, I think I'm done. Like, I, I can't do it anymore. He'll ask me these questions. One question every time. Are you called? Are you called? If you're called, then you got to keep going. Today, if you have experienced the redemption and salvation of the cross, I want to let you know that you are called. And if you feel like giving up, if you feel like lowering yourself to the world's standards, consider your calling. If you are called, you have somewhere to go. Because I believe the church is the hope of the world. And I believe in these days when the enemy would try to divide us, God is uniting us under the cross. The cross is the most powerful thing in the world. When we come to the cross, we get a new identity. And now it's time to take on the culture of the kingdom, take on the responsibility. For more information on our church, log on to our website at tfh.org or check out the TFH app.